Welcome to Mountain Mama's Misadventures, stories of mishap and adventure from women adventurers. Every woman has a story she can share, from the zany to the inspirational. Brought to you by Mountain Mamas, a nonprofit women's adventure organization. Women empowering women to adventure. My name is Emily Hacken, and I'm your host again today. We're here for the second part of our episode, Spark of Hope, Building Homes in Tijuana, Part 2. We're so excited to have our guests Marilyn Boucher and Erica Spotstoser with us, and we will be rejoining the episode that we were playing last week. Thank you so much. Um, I want to take a pause from building the house. Not only did we do that, but we had other projects or other things going on. We would focus during the day on the house, and in the evening there would be something else. One of those something else's was to visit um, an orphanage in Tijuana, so obvious high need there, right? But not just that, but it was also an orphanage in Tijuana with HIV children. Mm-hmm. And not only that, was it an orphanage in Tijuana with HIV children, but this is during COVID, and they already have immunodeficiencies, mm-hmm. and now everything is more heightened. Um, and you said they weren't getting visitors, like no one could see them. No, they were on lockdown because they had COVID in there yeah. with them. Oy. So it was, we brought a lot of toys and educational things for them. And this is what, one of the things I was the most excited about because for me, when my experience in college doing a service, um, alternative spring break was the connections with the children. That's what I wanted. Yeah. And we drove on these dirt, (laughs) um, roads that, you know, you're bouncing up and down in potholes and, and madness. And we get to this orphanage with all these things and all of the the hope and dreams in my eyes of everything to be for my children to experience, to be told that it's closed and we can't go in. Right. And the children are on lockdown. And, like, you know, I just remember feeling, you know, a second of, like, a letdown, but then I'm also like, of course. <laughs> what was I thinking? Of course they're going to be on lockdown. We were only notified just then. Mm-hmm. We, um... Yeah, we we walked up to find out that that was the situation, but it was still very heart-wrenching. If you can imagine, we come up to this... Well, not a lot of people visit the orphanage because they're afraid of contracting AIDS. That's just the general... Mm -hmm. That's the. I mean, a lot of the kids have been abandoned by their families because they got AIDS. And the families are afraid of getting it. And so they're not exactly orphans their parents are out there somewhere. So Mm -hmm. they look forward to Brad's foundation coming and visiting them on a regular basis because it's that, because the Americans aren't afraid of coming to visit them. It's a big deal. Mm. Yeah. So we arrive at this facility and if you can imagine it's this concrete white multi-level facility, two floor facility it looked like. Um, And Spark of Hope has been going there for years. So that was just standard part of the itinerary. Of course, we're going to visit this place. And and he already has a strong relationship with them. But we come up with all of these baskets of, you know, toys and games and puzzles and, you know, so many things. And we can't physically give them to him. I just remember walking up and I, I felt like a pane of glass in front of us. Um cannot deter feelings of connection and love to stir. The kids 
Um, a lot of them work in cute little dinosaur pajamas and different um, animal costumes. Mm-hmm. So that was fun to see. But a lot of them had, um, you know, masks. Well, they all they had masks on, but some of them, of course, were not able to come to the glass to, to say hi to us that we were separated through. And this gal on our trip, Becky Snow, just a mom, and she had a, she brought maybe five of her children. She comes up to the glass and puts on some silly glasses and just starts to pantomime games, grabs an animal and uses it as a puppet. Aww. And just... Uh, <laughs> and, and we're all standing there and just feeling like we want to make a difference for these kids. We want to... What can we do? How can we help them? How can we even save their lives, right? Because some of them at that exact moment were in crisis of dying Mm -hmm. because they had COVID and um, were having a lot of struggle breathing. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones we didn't get to see. So we felt really heart-wrenched to be able to see them. Before we left on the trip as a group, there was a religious hymn that we all learned in Spanish. And so that was the moment to sing that hymn. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I want to play just a little snippet of that. What it is is it is, Come ye children of the Lord, if you've ever heard that. Come ye children of the Lord, let us sing with one accord. So let's pause it and let's listen to it. This is us singing to the orphan children. the video you can see the children in the mirror or in the window waving and that's beautiful it was and it was yeah it was I think a moment that I could never otherwise manufacture for my children mm-hmm. yeah um so so here we are feeling <laughs> feeling like we we can't do what we had hoped or meant to do for these kids, you know, yes, we're bringing them trinkets or things like that, but what do you really need? So they could get the stuff you brought. They can, I mean, you just couldn't, like, hand yeah. it to them. Yeah, and, and, the, and as the, we left, they came out and grabbed stuff, and I actually took a video of them coming out and grabbing the kings, and the kids, like, you know, hoarding their favorite stuff that they saw <laughs> in the window and things like that. They were just super excited. It was Christmas. <laughs> it was just that, like, you couldn't be close yeah. face-to-face. Yeah, the, the idea was, in most years, Spark of Hope, you spend half a day with them and you do bubbles and play and hair and and nails and four square and basketball and soccer outside you know and it's a whole thing and these kids have this you know yeah you have much more of an interaction you know and and i think a deeper level of meaning so here we were just more dropping off trinkets really and Mm -hmm. and so brad christensen our santa claus he asks what do you need to the the owner of the or the supervisor of the orphanage and she herself side note hasn't seen her own toddlers for weeks now her own children over christmas mm-hmm. because the kids are positive for covid so she can't go home and see she can't and to explain to toddlers why mom can't come for christmas like yeah you can't anyway so he asked what do you need and this lady says, we need oxygen tanks. 
Oh, so the reason they need the oxygen tanks is to save these kids' lives. Mm-hmm. It's not like the, the orphanage has some sweet hospital hookup and they can get any medical supplies. And there's ox- the oxygen tanks are not to be found because this is also, I mean, if you remember, even our own medical facilities yeah. has struggles getting them. And so oxygen tanks <laughs> seem so daunting. We're just a bunch of like rando Utah families and we're leaving in one day. How do we get oxygen tanks? And the next morning, we are, we are staring down the, this problem, you know, with needing a solution in such a short amount of time. And a small band of us, of, of our group, goes out to find these while the rest of us stay and continue to work and build this house. Well, this small group, they go to a, a warehouse that works with, like an industrial area that works with compression you might remember more of the details than I do, but they worked with air compression and they, they needed oxygen tanks for some of their industrial things, mm-hmm. but there were still actual oxygen tanks. So our group and some of them, some of the people in our group, frankly, donated some extra money for these tanks, several hundred dollars. And they went and were able to get three oxygen tanks from the most obscure of places. Yeah. Hospital, they, we had called hospitals early that morning. We had called medical facilities. We called all over and it was not going to happen. And yet somebody knew somebody and these oxygen tanks by 11 a.m. that morning. Oh, man. That is a miracle. <laughs> that is a total, total, total miracle. Um, What my kids loved or or learned, like... I sat back and I, I didn't want to force anything upon them or have them, you know, hey, aren't you so lucky or didn't you feel? I didn't do any of that. I took a step back and just let them kind of experience things. But their connections with the children of the family that we were building the home for were very real. They these two girls teased my son like he was an older brother and vice versa, you know, <laughs> vice versa in a in a very fun and playful way. And for him to see how he had changed their lives. My daughter feeling like she could build things and make things and, mm-hmm. and the confidence that she walked away with of I can do a hard thing and I can build a whole wall. This 10-year-old girl, mm-hmm. and she was. Contractors were, were telling her, pick up this tool, power tool and drill this here. But she was building someone's house. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, my 10-year-old. So that was that was really incredible. And they, your family helped build, didn't your husband build a bunk bed for these two girls? So this was the surprise. This was a reveal that the kids didn't know about. We were building a house, we were extra rooms, we were building electrical, drywall, insulation, a roof. I mean, uh-huh. there were there was there were 16, 17 year olds putting together roof trusses and building a roof. It was it was unbelievable. But yes, we were asked to build uh, actual bed frames and bunk beds for these two girls. And they didn't know about it. It just looked like we were building any other wood thing. And my husband has been working with COVID patients in the ho- in two hospitals now um, since the beginning of COVID, and he has seen so much heartache and family loss and destruction. It's been really painful. Um, and the same day, this last day of us building, the father, not my husband, but the father of this family, unbeknownst to him, his brother died of COVID that day. 
So man. he's still at work. He was a garbage man. He's still at work. We're, we're there with wife and children building, and we find out that his brother has died before he has of COVID. So we're waiting for him to come back, waiting for him to come back. It's getting later in the day. He comes home, and we're all on top of each other building, but there's this moment where the wife is hugging her husband and telling him, your, your brother has died today of COVID. And he's just, we're not trying to be in their personal business, but we just are there. And he is just in shock. And she is just, you know, heaving with sadness. And we are finishing up these bunk beds. And these two little girls, we think are seven and five, they come around the corner. And my husband tells these little girls, like, these beds are for you. And the seven-year-old looks at my husband and she she waves she shakes her head no and her eyes have those like I don't know about you grown up (laughs) look in her eyes she's a little like "Mm, I've been burned before and the five-year-old is just (gasps) gasping of excitement and they turn the corner and go into the kitchen for a minute and I walk out and my husband walk out and these two girls turn back around the corner And now they have the room to themselves. No one's in there. And they just start to laugh hysterically. (laughs) And just, and climb all over this thing like it's a jungle gym because it is. It is their own personal bed. They have shared a mattress with their parents their entire lives. They've never known any different. Um, The four of them on this one mattress. And, And in we bring brand new mattresses, which was also a new surprise. It was straight from Costco. And... And these girls just can't believe it. And when those girls laugh hysterically and realize my husband just melted. Mm-hmm. To know that he had made a real change. It was awesome. And then in comes dad. And dad didn't know he was getting a bed frame. And dad didn't know that he was getting a mattress. And dad had just heard that his brother died. And he walks in. And I'm just wiping the last bit of dirt and things off the bed frame. I want to make sure it's clean from outside. And he comes and he just wipes it with me. And I turn and leave. And it's just him in the room, his own room. Mm-hmm. And he lays down on his back. He just falls back onto this mattress. And I just hear a sigh of just... <sighs> mm-hmm. And it was just... A, a beautiful little moment where things are crashing down around him, but he is supported. Mm-hmm. Like physically supported. Yeah, it was really neat. Oh, that's that was beautiful. a crazy evening because it was just raining, right? You know, it was just pouring outside. So when we say we're trying to keep things clean, <laughs> it's very difficult to keep things clean. Um, when he came home and his wife was telling him the bad news and we're just, you know, 60 busy bees, you know, running around trying to finish these last things. Since it's the last night and it's pouring and it's dark and we're going to be up as late as it takes to, to do all these things. And they're bringing in these surprises, the mattresses and things. They also brought in a refrigerator that one of the families had donated oh, as wow. well. And this woman that I, you know, the mom of the family, I had worked alongside with her a lot. And we had struggled a lot to talk to each other. Um, She was actually 
quite pleased when she found out I knew a little bit more Spanish than I was willing <laughs> to actually say. So by this point, we had spoken quite a bit, and she just grabbed my arm and pulled me into the kitchen so that she could show me this fridge. She wanted to show me where the eggs go, and she wanted to show me that it opened, Aww. and she wanted to show me all this stuff. And she was just so pleased, and I, I gave her a hug and got a picture with her. And her husband, after the bad news, um, I can't tell you what he said in Spanish, but like the general gist that I got was, I need to do something. Um, and so he just came in over to my project because he'd worked with us on this wall before. And he was just like, what am I doing? What are you doing? Like, where are you at? And he just yeah. threw himself into work. And we one of the power tools wasn't working. And I just turned around and I was just telling people, we need to get this man a power tool stat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so we got him a saw and he started cutting things. And he, he sped up our project faster than we were working together as a family. So he worked with us on that. Um, but he was just overwhelmed and needed to do something. And um, it was just kind of a beautiful moment of being able to work alongside the families um, to not just give, but uh, to also know them a little bit. And <clears throat> the house was imperfect that we built, but we gave it our best. We were imperfect. We can give life our best, really. Our salvation is in Christ. A picture of him was given to the family and the home was dedicated and blessed in his name at the end. And that was a beautiful, a sacred moment that I can't express in words. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, besides this family that was, that was touched and improved, we met other families that, that have been helped and were deeply moved by those. One of them, one of the forces for good that helps Brad Christensen is a lady down there that she's the Relief Society president of one of the most poverty wards in Tijuana, but she also is a family legal advocate mm-hmm. and an incredible um, mentor for a, for a lot of, of girls. There's generational, there's the generational poverty gap, obviously, in Mexico, and a lot of these young girls get pregnant, have kids, and they're stuck, and that's it. And we met this girl who her mom had been helped by Brad, a home built for her, and now her two. Now we were meeting her two daughters, who were in full private school uniform, who bust clear across Tijuana every day. You know, I think more than more than a half hour, an hour, to go to this private school, and they are they are learning English. They speak French. They were just playing a cello in a concert that Brad oh, and his wow. wife went to. And now they are um, looking into different universities that they're going to go to and seeing. And these girls were just so free and, and welcoming and supportive of this. And to see that, that this work does, in fact, um, bridge the gap because mom no longer no, le- needed, no longer needed to pay a mortgage payment every month. Right. She had a home, and so her money was now going to these girls' education, and that was her priority. It was, it was such a beautiful, beautiful thing. I am one who believes in the adage, feed a man a fish, and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, and he eats for a lifetime. Um, but this trip, however, was about my kids seeing others with less fish. They walked away with a deeper sense of self-confidence, I felt like. Mm-hmm. A work ethic and a gratitude that, like I said, I could never otherwise manufacture. So incidentally, next to the compound that we stayed at, Brad takes us out one of the last days and shows us this land that's next to it and says, this is my vision. 
This is my dream. Yes, a home here or there is nice, but my dream is the women of Tijuana, and it is that generational poverty gap. What can I do about that? That is my future. That is my vision. That is the future of Tijuana. So he shows us this empty, dirty, junky, crappy, weedy lot. And he says, this is where I want to build a women's center, a trade school for women, and a medical center for women. Wow. Um, in Tijuana, specifically for single moms in need, with the purpose of educating and bridging that generational poverty gap. So his, his vision, he's in Utah County, um, and his vision is creating corporate connections, which he's already began. And for instance, Doctors Without Borders and, and these different medical clinics coming down and helping women. But also a lot of um, vocational careers being taught to these women. Things that they can do online, things that they can do technology-wise, trades that they can learn, beauty school things they can yeah. learn, manufacturing things, businesses, how to call run their centers. own business, call centers. Mm -hmm. So having corporations that, that are here in the United States, whether they're coming down and training these women or whether they are now using you know, Zoom or things like that to train these women on, how, on some skills. Mm -hmm. Um, these corporations donating some time to train what they already teach people and just throw a couple of these other gals into the classroom with them. Yeah. And help bridge that gap. And he said, I, I, this is what needs to happen for this, for this community. And, and we said, this is incredible. What do you need? And he said, I need, I need corporate money to build it, but I also need women or I need people to come down. I need these, you know, to improve these women's lives, I need people to come down and build this facility. And I said, <laughs> well, maybe Erica said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually waiting for this moment. When Marilyn said that she wanted to come down to Tijuana for this organization, um, I remember my husband talking about that they poured the foundation for this um, women's center next door. And I didn't know how far Brad was on it, and Daniel didn't know because he hadn't talked to Brad about it. So my mission, like side mission for this trip, was to come down and see how far he was on the Women's Center and to make that connection with Mountain Mama somehow. So the moment Marilyn started saying, oh, yeah, so I have this nonprofit at Mountain Mama's, and she's over there talking to Brad, I was just like ran over there and like stood there and just waited for my moment. Because I was like, <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for to see if this thing will happen. Because to me, it just seems so obvious that this organization that allows people who don't have skills to come down and help build something, and a man who wants to build a women's center should be connected with an organization that empowers women. Amen. Um, so the moment that conversation was happening and I knew Marilyn was on board with this vision for what Brad already has, I just knew that like everything was just going to fall into place. Uh, and I mentioned, I said, Brad, how do you feel about women building your women's center? <laughs> and it gives me chills. Yeah. And the, both of them just lit up at the same moment. <laughs> yeah. And Brad was just like, could you get me 30 women? And I was like, how many people can you house in this warehouse? And he says, 60. And Marilyn's like, we can get you 60 women. <laughs> and 
And Brad was just so excited by that because, like, the biggest thing is convincing women in Tijuana that they can actually take care of themselves. Right. This is not something that they, they don't see themselves as having any sort of empowerment. They had children and their husbands left them and that's all that their life is. They're going to live in poverty. That is just the way that they exist. But Brad wants to have pictures and images of women building this women's center to help mm-hmm. empower the women that come through those doors and think that they can't do anything and realize that this building was built by women. That is powerful. Yes. I mean, Mountain Mamas is about women empowering women. And how much more powerful is it to empower other women in other communities? I mean, we've wanted to do this for Mountain Mamas for a long time, too, is to have a community that we work with consistently um, at their level, like their ground level, that their specific needs. And what a more beautiful project I don't think we could ask for. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. And I've had so many women at say, what can we do in Mountain Mamas for service? How can we do a program that's not just outdoor play, but that we serve other women? And so I know that the need is out there, and I know the desire is already out there from, from so many of you, which is incredible. I'm just And speak so highly of the people that you already are. And the cost of the trip was materials. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we weren't paying for a hotel. The food was provided, so some for the food. But really, it was the materials to build what we were building. And he's working, too, to get corporate sponsors for that. But that was the cost that we paid. It was way cheaper than any vacation, you know, the Boucher's take, but or any normal family takes. But but the cost of it was the materials to build the home. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we, we, we drove down. We just used our own vehicles and drove down. Um, some other people flew, and then that was the, that they figured that out. But it was a very inexpensive trip. Like ballpark, um, what was it for you guys? Um, it was wasn't it six hundred a person? Yeah, that sounds right. Six hundred a person. Yeah, and that was for that trip. And, and you know, other trips might be a little different, but that yeah, just kind of give people an idea. But like you're saying, that all goes to materials. Yeah, and, and Brad's vision for if we were to come out as a group is that instead of a three day, three four day trip like we had, he's talking about doing a week long trip and possibly having like a hike in there up to the hills of Tijuana <laughs> at some point. So it's still kind of on theme, on brand. But that we would be there for like a week. Nice. Helping these women and building the community. So, yeah. If you want your family to go on on this, um, check out the website. It's called sparkofhopefoundation.org. Again, sparkofhopefoundation, all one word, dot org. And that's his website. And he is, like I said, he's not not making any money off of this. This is a, he works a a job (laughs) full time. This is, he owns this is a company. <laughs> this is a passion project <laughs> a and a side project. project for him to be able to make this happen. Um, but your family can go. They do family pr- trips. They do um, a, adult with a, with an older kid trips. Mm-hmm. The families again, you can be eight and older, and they would do women trips. And we would absolutely love to get thirty or sixty women um, to come in the near future. And in probably several years, we'll keep in contact with him on corporate sponsors. But for this to be a part of your you know, your life and your future. So we'd love to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Thank you, Erica, for your sharing um, this life-changing and family-changing trip that you were able to go on. And this has been such an empowering and inspiring episode. We are so grateful. Thank you so much. And to hear more inspiring stories from women like these ladies, please continue to subscribe and help us empower more women to adventure. And we're so grateful that you could join us for this episode. That's it for today. Join us next time. And as always, remember, a woman's place is in the mountains.